I would call up a gaggle of children to come up and sit here, but we only have two, and if they want to come, you're welcome, but if you would, would rather not come, you're welcome to sit. What do you prefer? You want to come up? Yes! Thank you, guys. Well, I want to remind us what this setup is. This is called the Advent wreath, even though it's not a wreath this year. And I'm going to do it a little differently this year. This, I mean, this week, this setup here, if you recall, was the joy setup. This is the shepherds. These three candles here represent the shepherds. These three candles represent the angels. This was Angel Gabriel and the heavenly choir. And the candle for joy is always pink. But for whatever reason, nobody knows why. It just is. They don't, nobody knows why the candle is supposed to be pink. All the other candles are purple, but the joy candle is always pink. This station is the peace station. We remember that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. We remember through this station that there were wise men who came from the east and they followed a star and they came to worship him. They didn't just come to see him and say hi, but they came to worship him and they brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And this candle, the peace, excuse me. Yeah, the peace candle is always purple. Now, in our church, we use a purple glass with a white candle, but it still identifies that it's purple. Now, this one is the hope station. And normally at the Hope Station, we have Joseph and Mary, and then Gabriel comes over and talks to them about the fact that God is going to have Mary have a baby named Jesus. But the Hope Station is empty right now. Why would you think that it is empty? Do you have any idea? What do you think? It's because... Joseph and Mary had to leave their home in Nazareth and travel to the town of Bethlehem. And they went to Bethlehem because they had to go pay their taxes and register for a census. But when they got there, and this is the, this is called the station of love. So this Sunday is the Sunday of love. And this is Mary, the blue candle. And this is Joseph, the wooden candle. And why would you think we would have Joseph as a wooden candle? Wooden candle holder. Because he was a carpenter. And carpenters work with wood. And why do we have Mary in the blue? Because everything always shows Mary wearing blue. I don't know why. Every piece of artwork you ever see about Mary, she's wearing blue. We don't know why. What I like about the blue one that we have here is it's all wrinkled and fat and yucky because that's how she feels right now. She's getting ready to have a baby and she doesn't feel pretty and skinny. She's got a fat belly and she's tired and she's hot and she doesn't want to be bothered with anybody. She just wants to get in her bed and go have the baby. And guess what? There is no bed for her to go to. 
They didn't have a house for her to go to. They didn't have a hotel for her to go to. They didn't have even a tent for her to go to. You know where she had to go? She had to go into a stable where they have animals. And back then, it was probably like a cave. So it was cold and damp and dirty and yucky. But you know what's interesting? What's not on this station right now? This represents the manger where Jesus will be laid after he's born. But this is the Sunday before Christmas. And so we don't celebrate Jesus's birth until Christmas Day. So tonight we'll light a candle and have him be there for, for Jesus's birth being in the, in the manger. But right now we have the joy station, which is the shepherds. We have the peace station, which is the wise men. We have the hope station, which used to be Mary and Joseph back in Nazareth. And now we have the love station where Mary and Joseph have come to Bethlehem and Mary is getting ready to have a baby. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. All right, let me pray with you guys. Miss Tammy, are you taking the kids back or are you going to stay? Okay, if you'd like to go back to the classroom, you can. If you'd like to stay here with your dad, you can. What do you guys choose? Okay, let me pray for you first. (laughs) Jesus, this representation, this visual, I pray helps to solidify the story in the hearts and minds, not of these, not just of these kids, but of all the people present. May this be a way that we can communicate the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. I pray, Father, for your blessing and all of this in Jesus' name. Go with the kids now as they go to their class. Amen. Thank you, guys. Okay, you can head on back. Miss Tammy will have you in the class. And ladies and gentlemen, if you'll get your Bibles out or at least just look on the screen, you'll see the very first verse that I want to look at this morning in talking about love. First John chapter four, verse nine. Can you guys read that? Okay. Is it big enough that you can read it? Okay. This is, I, I first, I was going to start with other verses, but this one for me just was the epitome of what we just talked about. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. I mean, I could have, I could have started with, go ahead and bring the next one up, Craig. I could have started with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who believe, ever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But you know that one so much. It's back and forth. You know that inside out, it gets old. But go back to that first one, Craig, the, 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 the devotional slide. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That means that God made the love evident to us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, why was it necessary? If, if, if somebody came tonight and at the end of the service said, oh, that was so beautiful. But what in the world did all that stuff mean? How would you answer them? And let me share with you. Um. I have been in the presence of a number of people in recent weeks 
who are asking those questions? I had somebody this past two weeks ago, I think it was, I was visiting with them and they said, you know, I just don't really get it, this whole thing about sin and this whole thing about, you know, uh, eternal life stuff. What What is that? <sighs> Do you know, you don't get that question often. And you're supposed to be ready in an instant to be a bleh, just give it out. And I was like, oh God, this may be my only chance. Don't let me get it wrong. Now I'm a pastor for heaven's sakes. I'm trained. I've got a master's degree. I should be able to clearly articulate what the gospel story is. But you know what? I sat there for a second going, I don't know. How do I know? What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? Because again, this could be the last thing that this person hears before God calls them home. What I said was, sin is choosing to live selfishly. God's command to us was that we were to love. We are to love God first with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Secondly, he said the second greatest commandment was to love all of the other people on the earth selflessly. And if you choose self over love, you are sinning and you need to ask for forgiveness. And then I was like, I hope that's good. I hope that's okay. Because no, there was no, oh, I want to confess my sins. And there's none of that. It just, I, that was, we moved on with our conversation. But as I was reflecting on that and what I wanted to say to you guys this morning, it is my heart that I want the gospel to become real to us. I want it to be second nature for us to be able to clearly explain what it is that we say we believe. So I'm going to give you some really hard words. Okay? Craig, bring up that very first one. Imago Dei. Imago Dei. It's a Latin phrase. What does Imago Dei mean? In the image of God. And it comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, verse 27. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, this verse tells us that humans have something distinct about them apart from all other parts of creation. Animals, dogs, cats, horses, zebras, moose, do not have the Imago Dei. Humans are the only ones that are created in the image of God. Now, does that mean that when you look at a human being, you can tell that God has two eyes and a nose and a mouth and two ears and two hands and two feet and what stands erect? No, that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about, this Imago Dei, has nothing to do with our physical attribute. It has to do with who we are. I was looking online trying to get some 
layman's terms about what Imago Day is. And I saw this one video that somebody had put together and I was like, eh, no, I don't want to show it. But it had some interesting points. And what it said was every time a person paints something, every time someone makes a decision to choose this, every time someone reaches out and shows kindness, all of that is the Imago Dei. All of it is. That which makes us creative, that which makes us uh, artful, that which makes us caring, that which makes us compassionate, that which makes us, um, you're getting the understanding. The animals process, and some can come close to almost seeming human, but the reality is, according to scripture, only humans are created in the image of God. So if I'm looking at this idea of image of God, one of the key things is choice. We were given dominion over all of creation. We choose to care for things or to not care for things. If you look at a dog or any other animal in the animal world, if they are backed into a corner and they are threatened or they are starving, they don't choose to give their food to their baby puppies so that the puppies can still survive, even though they'll sacrifice themselves for their puppies. No, they will growl and snarl and keep everything away from the only amount of food that they are going to eat for themselves because they are animals. They are selfful, not selfless. They are always looking out what is best for themselves. Now, we have domesticated some animals, so we have taught them appropriate behavior. But some of them still snip at you and bark and, and growl when you get near their bowl. And that's the natural part of what an animal is. Human beings are not created that way. We are created in the image of God. Therefore, we understand the need for compassion, the need for selflessness, the need to reach out to someone else, the need to self-sacrifice if, if necessary. The thing that's interesting about this idea of our being created in the Imago Dei is that Adam and Eve were the only two human beings ever to experience that. Jesus is a human being, but Jesus is also fully God. So Jesus is a unique experience. The only two humans who have ever been created to experience the pure Imago Dei as God originally created them to be was Adam and Eve. How do I know that? Bring up the next slide, Craig. We have a theology called original sin. Original sin, defined by Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one human being, one man, and death through sin, 
And so death spread to all humans because all sinned. You see, the definition of sin is willfully choosing for yourself. Not doing what God wants for you to do. That goes right back to Adam and Eve. You can eat anything that's in this garden except that. Don't touch that because the moment you do, you will die. And what did they do? I want that. Hmm. And then they were tempted by the, by the tempter and they broke that law, that commandment, and ate the fruit. Now, did they physically die? Not immediately. But they did die. They're not still on the earth. They physically died. Death came about because of that willful choice. And what ended up happening was the Imago Dei twisted, warped, broke, deformed, however you want to look at it, in that moment of selfish choice. And it became a trait that got passed on to all humans from birth. You do not have to teach a two-year-old to be selfish. You have to teach a two-year-old to not be selfish. Why? Because they are a sinner. I have a daughter who works in early childhood education, and she constantly says to these children, oh, you're just a sinner, and you're going to be saved by grace someday. (laughs) But the reality is, Every human being is born with that brokenness, that bent towards wanting themselves first instead of God first. If you were to read further in, 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 don't don't change the slide, Craig, I I added this for my own notes. If you were to read further in in Romans chapter 5, you come down from 12 down to 18 and 19. This is what it says. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all of humanity, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all of humanity. For as by the one man's disobedient, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's the, the, the correcting, the, the writing of the brokenness of original sin, bringing humans back into the correct imago Dei, the correct image of God. And it came about because of Jesus. So Paul's argument is, Just as sin came into the world and death through that sin, then death spread to all. We all are infected with carnality, with original sin. We are born with it. And it is something that needs to be corrected and can only be corrected, be corrected by God, God himself. No, no other way. You cannot try to live a holy and righteous life and achieve that in your own self. You can't. It's not possible. The only way you can get past this brokenness and get back to literally having the Imago Dei is through the, through the sacrifice that Jesus made for this act of obedience that Jesus made so that we can be righteous. Craig, bring up the, the, 
the next slide. It says at the top, propitiation. Say that word with me. Propitiation. Propitiation. I know. Propitiation. Propitiation. Okay. Here's an easier one. Expiation. Expiation. Some of your translations will say propitiation. Some of your translations will say expiation. Depends on what translation you're looking at. But in 1 John chapter 10, Craig, bring up the devotional slide. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now bring up the propitiation sign. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, propitiation, expiation for our sins. So what this is saying is this idea is that God loved us so much that he sent his son for a specific purpose. It wasn't just that Jesus came onto the earth and now we're back into the right image of God. Something had to happen in Jesus' existence on the earth in order to make that possible for us to have the corrected image of God. And that's this word propitiation or propitiation or expiation. Bring up the next slide. Expiation or the definition of propitiation is the restoration of the relationship between God and human beings through some act of atonement. Now, this is a definition that is not necessarily a Christian definition. This is simply a definition. Because propitiation, expiation, you can do that with any God. You go to any God and say, I'm sorry I've offended you and offer a a sacrifice to them, hoping to stop having them be mad at you. I mean, religions around the world practice this. But the reality is, the only one that actually works is Jesus. It is not an act that you can do It is one that was done on your behalf. So this definition of propitiation is, it is a restoration of the relationship between God and human beings through an act of atonement. Now, to propitiate is a verb. Propitiation is a noun. Okay, so Jesus propitiated, Jesus became the propitiation. Does it make sense? Let's go to the next slide. There are four verses in the Bible that use this word. Some of them if you look in a translation, the tra- some translations will not have Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 using that word. They've used something totally different. 
But if you're looking up a word search for the word propitiation or expiation, but really propitiation for this word search, those are the only four verses you're going to find. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. 1 John 2, 2. And 1 John 4, 10. Let's look at Romans. And I'm again, I'm not asking you to memorize all this stuff. I just want to give you a, an understanding of what's going on. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. I actually have to read a few verses before that. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So this propitiation comes about because of Christ's blood and it is received by us by faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Actually, we're going to back up to 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who fear, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Talking again about Jesus, the high priest, making propitiation for the sins, offering a sacrifice to God to restore right relationship. Now look at 1 John chapter 2. I'll read verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is one of the most profound statements you could ever share with another human being. They've heard the, so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They know that by heart. They think of the NFL when they see that. They don't think about God. But if you read to them, 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. His name, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. What does that mean, propitiation? That means it is an act that has been done to bring about a healing, to bring about forgiveness, to make right relationship with God. And it is a sacrifice that could only be done by someone who was sinless. And his name is Jesus, the son of God. And then finally, first John chapter four, verse 10, which we've already looked at, but let's look at it one more time. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our... Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. That So that we might live through... Ah, sorry, I closed the book. What does it say? There we go. Thank you. Propitiation for our sins. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead and bring up that last slide, Craig. It take us, takes us right back to the very beginning. That's the theology lesson. Just to re- recap it sh- really quickly. God created all of humanity to be in the image of God. We are the only part of creation who was part who who is created in the image of God. What does that mean? That means we have the opportunity to be selfless. We have the opportunity to be to be compassionate, to be caring, to be loving. The love that we receive, quote unquote, from animals is more a mirror than it is a generative thing out of their own soul or their own spirit. But in our case, we choose. And in so many times, unless God intervenes, we continue to choose selfishly instead of selflessly. And the end result is death occurs. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, which is eternal separation from the only God that there is. So why is Christmas so important? Because this is the celebration of God literally providing the propitiation for all of humankind. God making it possible for all of humankind to be back in right relationship and to have a corrected, a restored, a righted Imago Dei. And what's so cool, it's not that God has to take the broken, wrinkled, twisted, warped one and just kind of put it back into somewhat of a right. He literally can remove the broken one and put a brand new one back in because that's God. That's what it means. That's what this whole thing means. But that's theology. And I want you to take something more than theology away from here. And I want you to think about these two candles right here. The blue lumpy frumpy one. And the wooden one. They represent two real human beings. Two real human beings who were created in the image of God, but according to our theology, were born with original sin. Were born with a bent towards selfishness. They had to be brought up in their faith by their parents and grandparents and all of their aunties to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. And they didn't just come by that naturally. That was something they had to be taught and had to own for themselves. So they came to a point where they received they, they accepted the truths that were being sent to them by their parents and their aunties and their rabbis and their neighbors. And they owned it for themselves, for their own faith. 
They establish their own faith, their foundation. This is how I'm going to live my life. Now, historians or, or theologians will tell us Mary was less than 15 or 16 years old when she was uh, announced, when she received the Annunciation from Gabriel. She was a young teenager. Joseph, we're not sure. Some people want to say that he's 15, 16, 18, 20. Some people want to say he's 40 years old. Who cares? They were two real human beings who were born with original sin, who had to come to faith in God for themselves and live righteously. And God chose them to be the earthly guardians of the hope of all of mankind. If they didn't do it right, the propitiation that is available to all of us would never have happened. They had to get it right. And how did they? They didn't know that Herod was getting ready to try and kill their baby. God had to supernaturally tell Joseph through a dream. Your child is in danger. Get out now. And what did Joseph do? He got up, got his wife, got his son, and got out of Dodge. And he stayed out of Dodge until the angel of God told him it was safe to come back. And Mary physically nurtured this baby. She made sure the child was fed. She made sure the child had clean diapers. She made sure the child was warm. Selflessly. Who knows how much food they did or didn't have, but she made sure that this child had because she was created in the image of God. She knew how to choose right from wrong. Do you understand? These two people were probably the most important people ever born. Adam and Eve weren't born. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Jesus is in a category all by himself. Yeah. But these two, they had an incredible mission. They didn't even understand what they were getting into. They just simply said, may it be done unto me as the Lord has said. Literally. If you read Mary's Magnificat, what does she say to Gabriel? Um, you do know I'm a virgin, right? You know I've never... How, how is that? Sure. I mean, if that's what God wants, but What? And then she took the angel at, her, at his word. She believed. She just accepted it and said, okay. She didn't try to finagle it. She didn't try to wriggle out of it. And she didn't go to Joseph and say, I'm sorry. I didn't hear it. She none of that. But Joseph finds out. And what does it say about Joseph? In, if you look in Matthew, it says, Joseph being a righteous man. Okay. 
He was in right relationship with God. Being a righteous man did not want to put his wife Mary to public humiliation. So he planned to just divorce her quietly. He could have had her stoned. But he chose to put her away quietly, to divorce her quietly, just move on with his life. And then God intervened through the dream with Gabriel. Said, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife because that which is conceived within her womb is from the Holy Spirit of God. And you have been given an incredible mission. You are to be the earthly father of the very son of God. Do you accept? Yes, I do. And I would submit to you guys Every single one of you have the same potential to carry out a mission for God. And how you choose to obey or not obey will determine whether or not God's purposes are accomplished through you or without you. God's purposes are going to be accomplished. The question is, are you going to be given the privilege of being part of it? I want to share one last little thing with you, and then I'm going to close. Bob Sugden graduated from high school in 1977. And within two weeks, Bob Sugden was at San Antonio, Texas, at Lackland Air Force Base, going through basic training. And Bob Sugden, who was foolish, had signed a contract with the Air Force saying he would take any electronic job. (laughs) So when I get assigned my job during basic training, I learn that my job is to load weapons on the bottom of airplanes' wings. What? That's not electric. Oh, it is electronic. Those are electronic jobs, and that's what you're going to be doing. I don't want to load bombs and rockets onto airplanes. Well, that's what you're scheduled to do. Well, what can I do to keep from doing that? Well, there's this list here of other jobs you could volunteer for. Maybe you could get picked up for one of those jobs, but okay. So I volunteered to be a linguist for the United States Air Force. And I was tested, and I scored high. I had an incredible aptitude for learning languages. So I got picked to be a Korean linguist. I graduated basic training, and I went to Monterey, California, to the Defense Language Institute at the Presidio of Monterey. And I went to a briefing where a captain said, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a problem because we have way more people graduate from basic training than was anticipated. We have way many more people than we have actually seats in the classroom. So some of you guys are going to have to wait two or three weeks to start your classes. And some of you are going to start tomorrow. And then they listed off all the people that were blah, 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 blah. Well, I was scheduled to start tomorrow, but I was slated to be a Korean linguist. I didn't want to be a Korean linguist. I wanted to be a Russian linguist. I had a heart and a passion for the Slavic people. I had read the book by Brother Andrew, God Smuggler, and I wanted to be part of that ministry to reach the, the, the Slavic people of, Euro, of Eastern Europe. And there was a guy across the hall from me in the barracks who was also slated to start school the very next day. And he was supposed to be a Russian linguist, but he wanted to be a Korean linguist. 
So we walked up to the captain and we said, Korean, Russian, Russian, Korean. He said, I don't care as long as one of you was in one classroom and one of you was in the other classroom. I don't care. So we swapped. So then I spent nine and a half months learning the Russian language. And then I graduated from the Russian language training. And then I got to my next station and found out I wasn't getting the job because I had a problem with one of my security clearances. And that's the end. And I moved on. Spent 20 plus years in the military. Then I went to Bible college for five years. And then I finally came up to Alaska. Now, 2003. It was like 2004, maybe 2000. Yeah, about 2004. God said to me in my private, quiet time, I want you to get your language skill back up to where it needs to be. Hmm. Okay. So I bought some CDs and had them in my desk downstairs in my office and didn't listen to them. Didn't listen to him. And God kept saying, mm, I really want you to get your Russian language skills back. Okay. And a year goes by. And I still didn't do it. And another year, almost year, goes by. So it's now 2006. And every time I open the drawer, there's this, the little black vinyl thing with the zipper and all the CDs with all of the Russian language training that I've never used. I think it's still there. It's 20 years later. But do you know, in 2006, there was a person who owned property in Delta Junction. And they said to the Church of the Nazarene's leadership, if you are interested, I can donate this land so that the church can have a ministry to the Russian speaking people in Delta. But the district said, would that we could, but we have no minister that is trained in Russian. And it is now 2024 almost, almost 20 years from the time that God asked me to retrain myself in the Russian language. And there is still no work of the Church of the Nazarene amongst the Russian people down in Delta Junction. And that is one of the greatest sorrows of my ministry. Why? Because I sinned. I chose selfishly. I was in right relationship with God. I was a saved person. I was a minister. I was ordained in the church, for heaven's sakes. But God had asked me to do something. And I said yes, but I didn't follow through. And what could have been a glorious, and I don't want to say this in any kind of self-aggrandizing way, what could have been a glorious feather in my cap for my career that God used me to bring the message of holiness to the people of Delta Junction who speak Russian. But because of my selfishness, or complacency, it never happened. Nobody even thinks about it anymore. I do. I didn't want to this morning. (laughs) I prayed and asked the Lord if it was okay if I didn't say this, and he said, no, you need to say it. 
But I don't want to say it, God. I want to, I want to end on a good thing with Joseph and Mary. And he said, now you need to talk about yourself. Because I want you to understand. Joseph and Mary were ordinary human beings. We, we are all ordinary human beings. God chooses to work through us. God chooses to partner with us and gives us the incredible choice to say yes to God or no to God. And if you say yes, look what can happen. If you say no, look what you miss out on. So my encouragement to you is as God opens up doors for you in the next 13 hours or even the next week and they ask you, what in the world is all that garbage? Take the opportunity to speak the truth to them because you may be the person that leads the next Billy Graham to faith. You never know what God could open up for you because God knows that you have what it takes to be able to do what God needs. But it all depends on whether or not you're willing to be selfless instead of selfish. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so very much that Mary and Joseph chose selflessly. I thank you that you called me to be a child. I thank you that you called me for ministry. I thank you for the ministry that I've had. And I have confessed already my sin and I don't need to reconfess it. So it's that's done and over with. But God, I just pray that you would use these people who are in the sound of my voice for your glory and that they would be willing, God, to do whatever it is you have for them to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Davian, come on up.